Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. This is an alternate universe story where Petunia married a scientist. Harry enters the wizarding world armed with enlightenment ideals and the experimental spirit. Following the first chapter are some previews of things to come. Chapter 1. A Day of Very Low Probability Every inch of wall space is covered by a bookcase. Each bookcase has six shelves going almost to the ceiling. Some bookshelves are stacked to the brim with hardcover books, science, mathematics, history, and everything else. Other shelves have two layers of paperback science fiction, with the back layer of books propped up on old tissue boxes or 2x4s so that you can see the back layer of books above the books in front. And it still isn't enough. Books are overflowing onto the tables and the sofas and making little heaps under the windows. This is the living room of the house occupied by the eminent professor Michael Varys Evans and his wife, Mrs. Petunia Evans Varys, and their adopted son, Harry James Potter Evans Varys. There is a letter lying on the living room table and an unstamped envelope of yellowish parchment addressed to Mr. H. Potter in emerald green ink. The professor and his wife are speaking sharply at each other, but they are not shouting. The professor considers shouting to be uncivilized. You're joking, Michael said to Petunia. His tone indicated that he was very much afraid that she was serious. My sister was a witch, Petunia repeated. She looked frightened, but stood her ground. Her husband was a wizard. This is absurd. They were at our wedding they visited for Christmas. I told them you weren't to know. But it's true. I've seen things. The professor rolled his eyes. Dear, I understand that you're not familiar with the skeptical literature. You may not realize how easy it is for a trained magician to fake the seemingly impossible. Remember how I taught Harry to bend spoons? If it seemed like they could always guess what you were thinking, that's called cold reading. It wasn't bending spoons. What was it, then? Petunia bit her lip. I can't just... Tell you, you'll think I'm... She swallowed. Listen, Michael, I wasn't always like this. She gestured at herself as though to indicate her life form. Lily did this. Because I... Because I begged her. For years, I begged her. Lily had always been prettier than me. And I'd been mean to her because of that. And then she got magic. Can you imagine how I felt? And I begged her to use some of that magic on me, so I could be pretty too. Even if I couldn't have her magic, at least I could be pretty. Tears were gathering in Petunia's eyes. And Lily would tell me no, and make up the most ridiculous excuses, like the world would end if she were nice to her sister, or a centaur told her not to the most ridiculous things, and I hated her for it. And when I had just graduated from university, I was going out with this boy, Vernon Dursley, and he was fat, and he was the only boy who would talk to me. And he said he wanted children, and that his first son would be named Dudley. And I thought to myself, what kind of a parent names their child Dudley Dursley? It was like I saw my whole future stretching out in front of me, and I couldn't stand it. And I wrote to my sister, and I told her that if she didn't help me, I'd rather just... Petunia stopped. Anyway, she gave in. She told me it was dangerous, and I said I didn't care anymore. And I drank this potion, and 
I was sick for weeks. But when I got better, my skin cleared up, and I finally filled out, and I was beautiful. People were nice to me. And after that, I couldn't hate my sister anymore, especially when I learned what her magic brought her in the end. Darling, you got sick, you gained some weight while resting in bed, and your skin cleared up on its own. Or being sick made you change your diet. She was a witch. I saw it. Petunia. The annoyance was creeping into his voice. You know that can't be true. Do I really have to explain why? Petunia wrung her hands. She seemed to be on the verge of tears. My love, I know I can't win arguments with you, but please you have to trust me on this. Dad! Mom! The two of them stopped and looked at Harry as though they'd forgotten there was a third person in the room. Harry took a deep breath. Mom, your parents didn't have magic, did they? No. Petunia said, looking puzzled. Then no one in your family knew about magic when Lily got her letter. How did they get convinced? Ah, they didn't just send a letter. They sent a professor from Hogwarts. He... Petunia's eyes flicked to Michael. He showed us some magic. Then you don't have to fight over this, Harry said firmly, hoping against hope that this time, just this once, they would listen to him. If it's true, we can just get a Hogwarts professor here and see the magic for ourselves, and Dad will admit that it's true. And if not, then Mum will admit that it's false. That's what the experimental method is for, so that we don't have to resolve things just by arguing. The professor turned and looked down at him, dismissive as usual. Oh, come now, Harry. Really? Magic? I thought you'd know better than to take this seriously, son, even if you're only ten. Magic is just about the most unscientific thing there is. Harry's mouth twisted bitterly. He was treated well, probably better than most genetic fathers treated their own children. Harry had been sent to the best elementary schools, and when that didn't work out, he was provided with tutors from the endless labor pool of starving students. Always, Harry had been encouraged to study whatever caught his attention, bought all the books that caught his fancy, sponsored in whatever math or science competitions he entered. He was given anything reasonable that he wanted, except, maybe, the slightest shred of respect. A tenured professor who taught biochemistry at Oxford could hardly be expected to listen to the advice of a little boy. You would listen to show interest, of course. That's what a good parent would do. And so, if you conceived of yourself as a good parent, you would do it. But take a ten-year-old seriously? Hardly. Sometimes, Harry wanted to scream at his father. Mum, Harry said, if you want to win this argument with Dad, look in Chapter 2 of the first book of the Feynman Lectures on Physics. There's a quote there about how philosophers say a great deal about what science absolutely requires, and it's all wrong. Because the only rule in science is that the final arbiter is observation. That you have to look at the world and report what you see. Um, I can't think offhand of where to find something about how it's an ideal of science to settle things by experiment instead of arguments. His mother looked down at him and smiled. Thank you, Harry. But... Her head rose back up to stare at her husband. I don't want to win an argument with your father. I want my husband to... To listen to the wife who loves him and trust her just this once. Harry closed his eyes briefly. Hopeless. Both of his parents were just hopeless.
Now his parents were getting into one of those arguments again, one where his mother tried to make his father feel guilty and his father tried to make his mother feel stupid. I'm going to my room, Harry announced. His voice trembled a little. Please, try not to fight too much about this, Mum, Dad. We'll know soon enough how it comes out, right? Of course, Harry, said his father, and his mother gave him a reassuring kiss, and they went on fighting while Harry climbed the stairs to his bedroom. He shut the door behind him and tried to think. The funny thing was, he ought to have agreed with Dad. No one had ever seen any evidence of magic, and according to Mum, there was a whole magical world out there. How could anyone keep something like that a secret? More magic? That seemed like a rather suspicious sort of excuse. It ought to have been an open and shut case for Mom joking, lying, or being insane in ascending order of awfulness. If Mom had sent the letter herself, that would explain how it arrived at the letterbox without a stamp. A little insanity was far, far less improbable than the universe really working like that except that some part of Harry was utterly convinced that magic was real, and had been since the instant he saw the putative letter from the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Harry rubbed his forehead, grimacing. Don't believe everything you think, one of his books had said. But this bizarre certainty. Harry was finding himself just expecting that, yes, a Hogwarts professor would show up and wave a wand and magic would come out. The strange certainty was making no effort to guard itself against falsification, wasn't making excuses in advance for why there wouldn't be a professor, or the professor would only be able to bend spoons. Where do you come from, strange little prediction? Harry directed the thought at his brain. Why do I believe what I believe? Usually, Harry was pretty good at answering that question, but in this particular case, he had no clue what his brain was thinking. Harry gave a mental shrug to himself. A flat metal plate on a door affords pushing, and a handle on a door affords pulling, and the thing to do with the testable hypothesis is to go test it. He took a piece of lined paper from his desk and started writing. Dear Deputy Headmistress... Harry paused, reflecting, then discarded the paper for another, tapping another millimeter of graphite from his mechanical pencil. This called for careful calligraphy. Dear Deputy Headmistress Minerva McGonagall, or whomsoever it may concern, I recently received your letter of acceptance at Hogwarts addressed to Mr. H. Potter. You may not be aware that my genetic parents, James Potter and Lily Potter, formerly Lily Evans, are dead. I was adopted by Lily's sister, Petunia Evans Varis, and her husband, Michael Varis Evans. I am extremely interested in attending Hogwarts, conditional on such a place actually existing. Only my mother Petunia says she knows about magic, and she can't use it herself. My father is highly skeptical. I myself am uncertain. I also don't know where to obtain any of the books or equipment listed in your acceptance letter. Mother mentioned that you sent a Hogwarts representative to Lily Potter, then Lily Evans, in order to demonstrate to her family that magic was real, and, I presume, help Lily obtain her school materials. If you could do this for my own family, it would be extremely helpful. Sincerely, Harry James Potter Evans Varis. Harry added their current address, then folded up the letter and put it in an envelope, which he addressed to Hogwarts. Further consideration led him to obtain a candle and drip wax onto the flap of the envelope, into which, using a penknife's tip, he impressed the initials H.J.P.E.V. 
If he was going to descend into this madness, he was going to do it with style. Then he opened his door and went back downstairs. His father was sitting in the living room and reading a book of higher math to show how smart he was, and his mother was in the kitchen preparing one of his father's favorite dishes to show how loving she was. It didn't look like they were talking to one another at all. As scary as arguments could be, not arguing was somehow much worse. Mum, Harry said into the unnerving silence, I'm going to test the hypothesis. According to your theory, how do I send an owl to Hogwarts? His mother turned from the kitchen sink to stare at him, looking shocked. I... I don't know. I think you just have to own a magic owl. That should have sounded highly suspicious. Oh, so there's no way to test your theory then. But the peculiar certainty in Harry seemed willing to stick its neck out even further. Well, the letter got here somehow, so I'll just wave it around outside and call Letter for Hogwarts and see if an owl picks it up. Dad, do you want to come watch? His father shook his head minutely and kept on reading. Of course, Harry thought to himself. Magic was a disgraceful thing that only stupid people believed in. If his father went so far as to test the hypothesis, or even watch it being tested, that would be like associating himself with that. Only as Harry stumped out the back door, into the backyard, did it occur to him that if an owl did come down and snatch the letter, he was going to have some trouble telling Dad about it. But, well, that can't really happen, can it? No matter what my brain seems to believe... If an owl really comes down and grabs the envelope, I'm going to have worries a lot more important than what Dad thinks. Harry took a deep breath and raised the envelope into the air. He swallowed. Calling out, Letter for Hogwarts! while holding an envelope high in the air in the middle of your own backyard was... actually pretty embarrassing now that he thought about it. No, I'm better than Dad. I will use the scientific method, even if it makes me feel stupid. Letter, Harry said, but it actually came out as more of a whispered croak. Harry steeled his will and shouted into the empty sky. Letter for Hogwarts! Can I get an owl here? Harry? Asked a bemused woman's voice, one of the neighbors. Harry pulled down his hand like it was on fire and hid the envelope behind his back like it was drug money. His whole face was hot with shame. An old woman's face peered out from above the neighboring fence, grizzled gray hair escaping from her hairnet. Mrs. Fig, the occasional babysitter. What are you doing, Harry? Nothing, Harry said in a strangled voice. Just testing a really silly theory. Did you get your acceptance letter from Hogwarts? Harry froze in place. Yes, Harry's lips said a little while later. I got a letter from Hogwarts. They say they want my owl by July 31st, but... But you don't have an owl. Poor dear, I can't imagine what someone must have been thinking, sending you just the standard letter. A wrinkled arm stretched out over the fence and opened an expectant hand. Hardly even thinking at this point, Harry gave over his envelope. Just leave it to me, dear, and in a jiffy or two I'll have someone over. And her face disappeared from over the fence. There was a long silence in the backyard. Then a boy's voice said, calmly and quietly, What? This was the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. If you think this is your sort of story, the entire work can be found in audio at hpmorpodcast.com 
or in text at hpmor.com. At the podcast site, you can subscribe via iTunes or RSS, as well as peruse the entire table of contents and download or listen to chapters at your leisure. You can also find some other rationalist fiction, most of it much shorter, approximately short story length. Now, as promised, a few previews from later in Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Then the Weasley twin raised the sword aloft as though the huge blade weighed nothing and screamed and charged. <coughs> Harry's lips opened to say something, some long sentence like, No, stop, you have no idea how to use a sword. But not even a single syllable left his lips before the sword sliced off the troll's right arm through the elbow, cutting through skin and flesh and bone like jelly. Just as the already swinging arc of the stone club smashed the charging Weasley twin and sent him flying through the air above the marble floor, over the gap out of which they'd risen on the broomstick, until the Weasley hit the wall on the opposite side and then collapsed into an unmoving heap. The bright sword vanished down into the opening in the floor, clattering distantly as it dropped. Fred! Screamed George Weasley, and then... Ventus! An invisible blow caught the troll and hurled it sideways through the air. Ventus! The troll was hit again, blown to the edge of the floor and the gap leading downwards. Ventus! But the troll had reached down and grabbed at the floor, its remaining hand crunching through the marble to gain a firm hold. The third blow sent the troll's body over the gap, but the hand remained at the edge. And then the troll was pulling itself back up, single-handedly, roaring. George Weasley staggered, almost falling, his hand dropping to his side. Harry. The Weasley twin said in a strained voice. Run. Now Pansy was showing definite nervousness as Tracy swayed toward her desk. What do you think you're doing? Pansy said, not quite managing to sound indignant. I told you, I'm going to devour your soul. Tracy bent down over Pansy, who sat frozen at her desk, and, with their lips almost touching, made a loud inhaling noise. There! I ate your soul. No, you didn't! Did too! There was a very slight pause. Merlin, she did! cried Theodore Knott. You look all pale now and your eyes seem empty. Oh, you're in trouble now, Pansy, said Seamus Finnegan. I don't know exactly what happens when a Dementor kisses you, but if Tracy Davis kisses you, that's probably a lot worse. I've heard about people without souls, Dean Thomas said gloomily. They have to dress all in black, and they write awful poetry, and nothing ever makes them happy. They're all angsty. I don't want to be angsty! Too bad. You've got to be, now that your soul's gone. Pansy turned and stretched out a begging hand toward Draco Malfoy's desk. Draco? Mr. Malfoy? Please, make Tracy give me back my soul. I can't. I ate it. Make her throw it up! Be quiet. The soft, lethal voice seemed to fill the whole classroom as Professor Snape stalked in through the door. Sit down, Parkinson. And you, Davis, take off that ridiculous cloak. Professor Snape! Tracy ate my soul! 
he found the picture he wanted to show to Draco. The one with the white, dry, cratered land, and the suited people, and the blue-white globe hanging over it all. That picture. The picture, if only one picture in all the world were to survive. That, Harry said, his voice trembling because he couldn't quite keep the pride out, is what the Earth looks like from the moon. Draco slowly leaned over. There was a strange expression on his young face. If that's a real picture, why isn't it moving? Moving? Oh. Muggles can do moving pictures, but they need a bigger box to show it. They can't fit them onto single book pages yet. Draco's finger moved to one of the suits. What are those? His voice starting to waver. Those are human beings. They are wearing suits that cover their whole bodies to give them air because there is no air on the moon. That's impossible, Draco whispered. There was terror in his eyes and utter confusion. No muggle could ever do that. How? Harry took back the book, flipped the pages until he found what he saw. This is a rocket going up. The fire pushes it higher and higher until it gets to the moon. Flipped pages again. This is a rocket on the ground. That tiny speck next to it is a person. Draco gasped. Going to the moon costs the equivalent of... probably around a thousand million galleons. Draco choked. And it took the efforts of... probably more people than live in all of magical Britain. And when they arrived, they left a plaque that said, We came in peace for all mankind. Though you're not yet ready to hear those words, Draco Malfoy. You're telling the truth. You wouldn't fake a whole book just for this, and I can hear it in your voice. But, but... How? Without wands or magic? It's a long story, Draco. Science doesn't work by waving wands and chanting spells. It works by knowing how the universe works on such a deep level that you know exactly what to do in order to make the universe do what you want. If magic is like casting Imperio on someone to make them do what you want, then science is like knowing them so well that you can convince them it was their own idea all along. It's a lot more difficult than waving a wand, but it works when wands fail. Just like if the Imperius failed, you could still try persuading a person. And science builds from generation to generation. You have to really know what you're doing to do science. And when you really understand something, you can explain it to someone else. The greatest scientists of one century ago, the brightest names that are still spoken with reverence, their powers are as nothing to the greatest scientists of today. There is no equivalent in science of your lost arts that raised Hogwarts. In science, our powers wax by the year. Thank you for listening and come back next week for Chapter 2. Everything I Believe is False.